Welcome to Calvary. It's good to have you tonight. We are continuing our series on ancient prayers in a modern world where we look at the prayers of the Bible. Some of the prayers, there are a lot of them in the Bible, but we've taken several that we've decided to cover in the next five weeks. Last week, Pastor Mark started off with an introduction on the series, and tonight we're going to start with the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is actually a motto, so let's welcome Pastor Mark Johnson. Thanks, Dan. Let's uh, stand together and open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Last week as we uh, began to dive into this, you know, the goal of this whole uh, series is to deepen our prayers, to flesh out our prayers so they are more meaningful and effective in, in what we do. So we, we looked at this great promise that comes in James where it says the the, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we, we spent some time talking about that. If you missed it, you can get online and, and pick it up. And so tonight we want to look at uh, how the Lord taught us to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we want to kind of dive into that a little bit. This is a very fundamental thing. And then next week I believe we're going to look at some uh, scriptures and some prayers out of the Psalms, the psalmist pray, and then we're going to go to Ephesians, and then we're going to look at uh, Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. And uh, we want to we look at the context of these prayers so that we can understand what was going on when these things happened, so we can relate to ourselves. And we want to look at the doctrine that comes shining through these prayers so that we can understand the doctrinal statements that are happening inside of this. And we want to look at what it means to us, why God put these in the Bible so that our prayers will be in line with God's will and, and more effective. So let's, let's start right here, Matthew chapter, chapter 6. This is kind of in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says to them, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in the ESV, in some versions, that's where it stops. In, uh, in some other versions, the King James Version and a few other versions, it goes on in that verse and says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we'll talk about that a little bit more and how that happened a little bit more at the end of the, at the, end of the evening tonight. Father, we thank you for your word to us, and I, I just pray that, Father, because of this, uh, because we hear this tonight, that uh, our, our church will be healthier because we'll pray for it better, that, that our, our homes will be healthier and stronger, more protected from the enemy, that we'll have a closer and deeper relationship with you because we'll think about you rightly and approach you rightly and pray rightly. That, Father, the enemy will be thwarted over our lives and your will will be done in our lives. And, and so, Father, help us just to, to grow in this, to capture truth for our own homes, our own lives, uh, for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, if you remember, uh, we've talked about this a few times before, but in Jesus' teaching, he, he didn't have a, you know, an evangelistic uh, night or a, a church to go to or a Sunday morning service where everybody knows you come at 9 o'clock, they're going to be done by 10.15, and we're going to go. Uh, Jesus was just traveling through the areas, and they would hear about him and they were drawn to him primarily in those early days because of the miracles that he was doing. And his teaching, of course, was phenomenal and life-changing and a new way to look at things. And when he would teach, 
uh, he would teach at times for hours and hours at a time. And the people would be there. They would gather around. They would, you know, sit on the ground. And he would find some place where he could project his voice. And they would talk for a, a long time. Now, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, we can read the Sermon on the Mount uh, in a fair and fairly uh, short order. It doesn't take us a long time to read it. But what we believe we have here in the Sermon on the Mount is some bullet points, kind of like what you might get in notes on a Sunday morning. Here are just kind of some of the highlight points uh, of, of thoughts that Jesus is giving that Matthew has now written down for us. And we've taken time in the fall of this year to study through uh, those teaching, that, that time of teaching. Now, just before we get to this call of the Lord's Prayer, we get to some very important instruction on prayer in what we call chapter 6. Remember, the chapters and verses were not added to any of these writings for you know, almost 1,400, 1,500 years. And uh, in, in what we call chapter 6, there are these three statements that, say, that, that Jesus begins with, when you... When you statements, Jesus is speaking as if there is a common knowledge and some common values about these three things, that they're just kind of unquestionable that they're going to happen. One of them is when you do charitable deeds. It's not a question of if you're going to do charitable deeds. He says when you do them. And he gives instruction on how to do charitable deeds. And then he says later, when you pray. Again, it's not a question about if you're going to pray. It's a statement about when you pray. And then he gives the one that kind of shakes us up at times. When you fast. Again, not a question of if you're going to fast. He's not saying, hey, if you feel like it or if something gets serious enough in your life or you know, if you really want to be spiritual, no, he's addressing this big crowd sitting out on the side of a mountainside, uh, speaking to the people, and he's telling them, when you fast. This is not an appeal to take these actions. It, it, he has an attitude that they're, they're definitely going to take these actions. And so if you, when you're going to take them, let me tell you how to do them right and he's really addressing what's going on in his culture that they're not being done right. They're being done in ways that are self-glorifying and man-glorifying instead of God-glorifying and really, not, not just even simply God-glorifying, but recognizing who God is and what the real power of these things are. And so he gives some instruction on how we do them before God and how we do them not to draw attention to ourselves, but to recognize uh, who God is. So in, the, in his instruction, they take some time about in prayer. He, he makes a couple of statements. He, he talks about don't pray in public to get the recognition of men. Talking about you know, get this, this, this would be a, a pretty common statement in a religious culture. And what he was seeing is people who would come out and pray in ways that were self-glorifying. Uh, he says, when you pray, do it in secret. And he says, don't just pray prayers by memory or by repetition. But he's teaching to pray with a right attitude and right approach to God. So what do we learn from that? Is it bad to pray in public? No, we see many righteous illustrations of public prayer. What he's talking about is a self-glorifying aspect of it. Uh, when he says, when you do your praying, pray in secret. Is he saying we should only pray when we're alone? No, we'll see many times throughout, you'll see some scriptures in the next few weeks in the New Testament and other places where, where, they, where there were group prayers and where people gathered together uh, to pray. But again, it's about this 
trying to bring honor to yourself through it and get position in the kingdom or get position in people's eyes uh, through your prayer. And, and he makes this statement about uh, repetition and, and vain repetition. So is Jesus telling us to never repeat our prayers? Well, absolutely not. He, he tells, when he tells the story about the, the widow and the, the evil judge, he talks to us about her going to him again and again and again. And he says, like this, you should pray. Pray persistently. Keep seeking it. Keep asking God for it. What he's talking about here is rope prayers and prayers that are just repeated over and over again that the person many times has no mind in it, no concern in it. They're just, they're just quoting a, a thing over and over again because they're supposed to for some reason. Jesus is speaking. When he speaks, he always condemns prayer that is not by definition an act of humility, and again, let's define humility. Humility is our recognized dependence upon God. This is godly. Humility isn't feeling worthless. Humility is recognizing our place before God and our total dependence upon him. That all the gifts, all the talents, all the things I have, God gave to me. And I'm totally dependent upon him. Pride is thinking I've come up with something. That I'm powerful in some way. That it's about me in some way. And it's not about God. So God, Jesus condemns prayer that isn't, first of all, an act of humility. Not position seeking. Not trying to manipulate. But it's a place of humility, of dependence upon God. And the second part of this is that it's not, he always condemns that which is self-glorifying. That is about drawing attention to ourself. The praise we get needs to be reflected back to God. Why? Because he gave you the ability to do that. So you get up and maybe you're a tremendous singer or maybe you have uh, you know, some tremendous teaching gift or maybe you're able to really you know, witness to somebody or some service that you do and you're tremendous at it or some giving that you do and God's blessed you. This isn't about getting attention for ourselves, and it's not about getting praise for ourselves. When it's done in the right way, we want to do it where it doesn't draw attention to ourselves. It draws attention to, the, to Christ. It points to God. And so somebody says to us, hey, that song really blessed me, or that gift you gave, or that service you did, or that teaching you did. Uh, boy, you are fantastic. Well, no, Jesus is fantastic. God is fantastic. And I'm, I'm grateful that you were, you were blessed by it. Does that mean we should never thank somebody? No. We should recognize people's gifts and thank them for what they do. What they do with that is up to them. But remember, Jesus always condemns that which we build to be self-glorifying to us. We're not building our kingdom. We're not trying, we shouldn't be trying to get people to think we're great. We shouldn't be using our gifts, our talents, our resources to gain power for us. No, we use them humbly. Humbly we use them. Humbly we give, humbly we serve, hum humbly we do these things. Recognize that all of it has been given to us by God. And now we're just giving it back to bless others. And when somebody gets moved by that, touched by that, blessed by that, we want the praise to go to God who gave us the ability to do it, who gave us the strength to do it. So it's this attitude of humility before God that is fundamental, even in our prayers, that we're coming before God, recognizing our dependence upon him. Now, he, he says to us, as he comes through this, remember, God already knows what you need. He's already aware. You're not going to spring anything on God in your prayer time. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know you. He already knows. Prayer is this act of faith 
of humility that we need God to move in our life. And we need him to step up. In our, and it's also an act of power in the kingdom of God that when we unite our will with God's will, God acts the fervent, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It makes a difference. And so we pray. So this, what we're about to look at tonight, is not what, the next several weeks we're going to look at prayers. This is not really a prayer, but a teaching on subjects of prayer and a right attitude in prayer. So Jesus says to us, he doesn't say to us, you know, go pray these words over and over again. He says, no, pray like this. At another time, in another, in another uh, that, in, a, in a rendition that Luke shares with us, the disciples have actually come to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. And he teaches almost, in, in Luke, almost the same exact thing in, in the book of Luke so we can learn how to be a people of prayer. So it is not only... It's not the only formula. It's kind of a formula for prayer, but it's not the only formula we should pray. We will see other prayers that the New Testament church pray that do not follow this as a formula. So we're not locked into some religious process for praying. Oh, every time we pray, here's the formula we should pray. In fact, I, I... I know several that people teach, formulas that people teach, and they can be good and helpful to help us have well-rounded prayer. But listen, you've got to be careful because they can become repetitive. And now you're just going through something and going through a process. Okay, I've spent so much time praying about this, and now I've spent so much. That's not what Jesus is trying to teach us. He's not trying to teach us to go through some repetitive formula in prayer. Even the subjects, these are not the only subjects that we pray about. We'll hear some others in the weeks ahead, though I would tell you most of them we could plug into one of these, one of these subjects of prayer. We could probably hang most of them on one of these that's in the Lord's Prayer uh, for subjects we should pray about. However, as we go through this tonight, I want to challenge you. We should look at these prayer subjects and make sure that they are all plugged into our life regularly. That we are praying all of these things fairly right. Doesn't mean every day. Doesn't mean, you know, every morning we get up and pray every one of these things. But all of these subjects should flow through our prayer time on a fairly regular basis. Because they help us in our relationship with God, understand who God is, and they are righteous for us to pray over our family. So remember, this is not a prayer, though it's not wrong to use it that way on occasion. You can pray through it on occasion and pray and contemplate on it, but it's not a prayer that we're just supposed to use in a repetitive way. Each line represents something we should recognize in prayer. And this prayer points us to God's place in our lives and our, and, and, and our lives in the body of believers. So as we go through this, watch for the, as you go through it, watch for the places, uh, for God's place in our life and take note of uh, the way he said, the R and the us. You don't find any I's in this prayer. You don't find any me's in this prayer. You find a recognition that we are a part of a body of believers. That we are a part of this. It's our Father which art in heaven. And there's a, this purpose in this is to help us remember that we are not supposed to be separate and on our own but that we are supposed to be a part of a body of believers. We're supposed to be a part of a fellowship. And this recognition that there's strength and there's health that comes inside of the body of believers. So even in this prayer, Jesus is reminding us and telling us that we're supposed to be a part. So this, you get these people who say, oh, 
I, you, know, I don't, you, don't, you don't need a church. Well, I think Jesus would beg to differ with them. I think the whole New Testament begs to differ with them. That he, he calls us a family, that calls us a body. It talks about commitment to each other. It talks about authority. It talks about mutual gifts. And even here in the Lord's Prayer, we get this statement of our and us. So the instruction starts with three instructions about the kingdom of God. Three prayers about the kingdom of God. Uh, The first one in Matthew chapter uh, 6 verse 9, it says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So here's this first subject and this first uh, uh, revelation on something I should be that should regularly be in my prayer life and a doctrine of how we approach the church and how we approach our life in the church and doctrine about how we approach God. So this first one we've already talked about, it's our. We are a part of something. We're not on our own. We're supposed to be connected. There's health and there's life inside of the connection. And then he comes to this word, our Father. And this is a, 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 an important doctrinal thing for us to recognize. This word that's used as Father in, in, in the Lord's Prayer is a very intimate and common word that a child would use to call out to his Father. And, and so Jesus is talking to us and he's trying to give us an illustration. He's giving us an illustration. not trying. He's giving us an illustration of what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. And I believe that one of the plans of the enemy, and, and as a plan that's probably worked in some of your lives, is to destroy the image of the Father in the eyes of the children. And I think he does that many ways. Absentee fathers, abusive fathers, fathers who surrender their roles in the home. In many, many ways, the enemy destroys the vision and the understanding of a right relationship with a heavenly father by destroying in our eyes uh, the role of a father in our lives. Dads in this room, we have a responsibility to reflect the role of a heavenly father as closely as we can in a natural sense. And if your your, uh, vision of a father has been messed up by a bad father, by an abusive father, uh, an absent father, even even in situations where maybe a father has died and you've never had a father in your life and no fault of their own, but you've not had that, you've got to look in Scripture and begin to recapture this idea of what a father is. And I would encourage you to look at fathers that are doing that well and begin to capture the vision. And even though you can say, well, I wish I had that. I wish I'd had that kind of an earthly father. This is going to help you realize what kind of a heavenly father you have. Are you, are you with me? So Jesus isn't saying to us, just come before him, oh God in heaven. He's saying, our father, which art in heaven. Very intimate term uh, for the father. The father should be the most benevolent, protective person in your young life. And for the most part, the one most likely to be the supplier of your needs. This would have definitely been the role of a father in this day and age that we're talking about here. And so he's saying to them, listen, your father, is. if you've got a good father, he's benevolent, he's protective, and he's a supplier of what your needs are. Now, when you think about God in heaven, you say, our Father, this intimate term of a Father in heaven, and it reveals to us. So when you go to him in prayer, 
You're going to a benevolent father. You're going to a protective father. You're going to a father who wants to supply your needs and wants to bless you and wants you to have good things. That's who you're going to. That is the image that Jesus is giving to us when we come and we say our father. And, and then he says, hallowed be your name. Now, in, in the, this, is, this is the first call. The first call of this is to always treat the name of God with utmost respect. Hallowed be his name. It's a respectful term. Never, never talk of God lightly. Uh, never talk of him in a trivial way. Never think of him lightly. Always revere his name. Don't use his name in vain. Don't use his name to try to manipulate your will. Which I think is, you know, you hear people talking about foul language and using God's name in vain. I think people saying God told me to do something when God never told me is more using his name in vain than the other at times. But it's, it's this attitude of respect. We come before him respectfully. We come into his presence. We think about him with reverence, with awe, with, with a, a, a respect in a, that begins with a righteous fear of a holy God and turns into a holy love of a beautiful, loving Father who cares for us, but we stand in reverence of Him and we don't play games with Him. We don't trivialize who He is. We don't make excuses for our sin because God's got to forgive me anyway. That's not hallowing the name of God. So He's telling us that in our approach to God, there's this respect for Him, this humbling of ourselves, and this respect for who He is. Now, he says, hallowed be thy name. And the name of God, we've talked about this many, many times. Uh, the names of God in the Bible reflect his glory and they reflect how he relates to us. So all through the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, there are places where God gives us a name. He is you know, one of the most common, Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. And so you recognize the provision of God. And we can go through all these names of God where he is our covering, where he's our protector, where he's our sanctifier, where he's our defender. And we have all these names. So when he said, hallowed be thy name, that, that Jewish audience would have thought, of the names of God that are throughout the Bible. And he's teaching them to take time in your prayer time to show respect for those names, to honor those names. Now, why would he do that? Because as you pray through the names of God, that he's holy and righteous and pure and that he's the defender and he's... You, you, your, your concept of God grows. The role that God plays in your life grows. Your awareness of who he is and what he's, it's a place to worship him. It's a place to respect him. It's a place where you say, God, I am so thankful for your provision. Or I'm thankful that you cover me with your righteousness. I'm so thankful that you protect me, that you're, ba you're a banner over me. I'm so thankful for these things. That you grow in it and you invite him all the more into your life as your heavenly father. This is an, I, I want to tell you, this is, in all of these, this should be a regular part of your prayer time. God, I'm just coming down here tonight. He says, pray in secret. This is this intimate prayer time with God. God, I just want to take a few minutes today, and I want to thank you for all you've done in my life. I just want to think about what, you've done, what you do for my life. I want to think about your role in my life and who you are in my life. I want to think of what you've done, and I want to thank you for it, and I want to praise you for it. And you take time, and what, what you discover in that is a growing intimate relationship with God where you begin to sense his presence and know him more deeply, where your mind 
is expanded in who he is and where your spirit is filled more with who he is and the relationship becomes a deeper and stronger relationship. Now, I'm not going to go through all the names of God tonight. Uh, we're going to take time uh, this week and uh, uh, we will publish you know, the, the, the major names of God on our Facebook site and we'll put it on the website so if you don't know all those names, you can go there this week. We'll try to get that up by tomorrow or Friday. And you can go there this week and just kind of capture those names and print them off. And, and, and you can kind of walk through them and begin to pray through them and, and use this as part of your prayer. The second line that he talks about is your kingdom come. This, this part of the prayer is about the rule of God. Let your rules come. You know, I say this many times. I want to come back to it again. When we think about the kingdom of God, we're thinking about how the world works, how the world functions under God's rule. So uh, the natural rule in the flesh is somebody does something to you, get even with them. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the natural world. I'm not talking about God's world. No, I'm talking about the fleshly world that we live in. If somebody does something to us, we try to get even with them. God says, no, revenge is mine. Surrender that to me. In my kingdom, you don't do that. You don't do that. In my kingdom, that's not the way it works. In, my, in, in the kingdom of this world, if somebody is your enemy... You hate them and you, maybe you try to destroy them or wreck them. You want to overcome them. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. My kingdom, you love your enemies. You love your enemies. And so all through the, 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 new, the new Testament, especially in Matthew, Jesus says over and over again, you have been taught this, but I say this. In, in my kingdom, in the kingdom of God, this is how things work. And what he's showing us is that, hey, you've been taught one way, your flesh responds one way, your broken flesh desires one thing. You've got to step out of that and step into my kingdom. My kingdom. How my kingdom functions. And you're going to be different than this world. So this prayer is about praying for the rule of God. We pray for his rule to come into our world. Right now, our world in America is running from the rules of the kingdom of God. And we need to be praying, God, let your rule come back into our world. And we pray for his rule to come in the future. Someday, Jesus is coming and his kingdom will be established fully on this earth. In the meantime, this is a prayer for us. God let your kingdom come in my life. Teach me how to live your way. This is what we're praying. Teach me how to live your way and not the way I've been taught all my life. Teach me how to live your way and not the way uh, my culture has taught me, my, my country's taught me to live all my life. Teach me how to live your way and not the way my flesh feels. Let your kingdom rule in my life. Let me look at authority the right way. Let me, let me look at people the right way. Let me, God, let, let me respond and react. And so we're inviting God's kingdom into our life. This is essential for us to have victory. We, again, surrender our flesh to the kingdom of God. We invite his kingdom into our home. As you have authority in your home, moms and dads in a home, God, let your kingdom rule here. Let your kingdom rule in our children's hearts. Let us learn how to act the way you'd have us to act. God, let your kingdom, don't let the kingdom of the world get in our home. Let your kingdom rule in our home. We're inviting your kingdom into our home. Remember, prayer is effective and it's powerful. It availeth much. It changes things. So what you're doing is you're changing the rules of your home as you pray and you invite the Spirit of God to rule in your home. Over my husband, let him start, let him start living inside of your kingdom's rules. 
Let me start living inside your kingdom's rules. We're inviting him to rule inside of our homes. We should pray this over the places of influence in our life. Any place where we have influence, the places where we work, God, let your, let your kingdom rule here. Teach us how to live in your kingdom. Te- teach us, just God, let the spirit of your kingdom rule. Let, let gossip stop. Let arguing stop. Let all these things that the flesh stirs up uh, stop. And, and let us, let your kingdom rule here. So that even people who don't know you begin to say, boy, the spirit here is different. It's different. This is, this is a unique place to work and be. We should pray this for our church. This should be a regular part of your prayer time when you pray for our church. Do you pray for the church? You should be praying. You should be praying for me, God touch pastor and our teachers that they'll be teaching and preaching under your anointing. You should be praying for Dan and the worship teams. God, give them wisdom to come in and lead us into your presence. God, let your spirit reign in this place so the lost people come in and are drawn to you. God, give us souls around the altar. God, heal people. God, let your kingdom rule around the altar. Let people get healed. Your kingdom, God, in your kingdom, when people lay hands on people, they get healed. Let them get healed around our altars. Let them get baptized in the spirit. Let your kingdom rule in our altars. When was the last time you prayed for our church? God, let your kingdom rule here. In our relationships, in our small groups, in the way we treat each other, the way we act, the way our marriages are conducted. God, let your kingdom rule. This should be a regular part of our prayer time. Jesus is giving us these prayer hooks, if you will, these subjects of prayer. They say, he says, this, these should be an important part of your, of your life. And we should pray this for our generation. God, in our world, let your kingdom reign. Let your kingdom reign. God, let those, let the wicked of this earth, because there are some who are wicked who determined to do evil, let their voice of influence decrease. Let the voice of the righteous increase. Let that happen, God. God, you know, when I drive by, you know, Planned Parenthood, I pray, God, just bring conviction on everybody who works in there. Just begin to, God, just bring your kingdom to bear. Bring your kingdom to bear in every one of these things. I'm telling you, I believe this is a key failing point in the life of the church generally around America. We, we skip this prayer. We don't invite his kingdom to come. We don't invite him into the places where he's given us authority and position. And we have this authority and position and we're trying to do it on our own because we're pretty good people and we love God and we think it'll all work out. When there's a, when there's a spiritual battle, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities and we need to begin to pray over our homes, over our lives, over our churches, over our community. God, silence the enemy and let your kingdom come. When people hear your word, Let your kingdom work. Let him be convicted by your word. When we hear your word, let us be enlightened by your word. Father, let people be drawn to you. This is a key prayer for victory in your life, in your home, in our church, in our community. It's us taking the authority given to us and inviting God into the relationship, into that place, because God waits for that invitation. This is a key failing point. I think the church needs to capture this. I encourage you to capture it. I I believe, I I really believe, (laughs) in the last few years I've really come to this conclusion that mom and dad, our prayers for our children are the most important things we can do for them. Do we need to live consistent lives? Yes. Do we need to teach them? Yes. Do we need to live lives that that, that point them to honor God and discipline them with love? Yes. Yes. But I believe more than all of that, the most important thing on top of all of that is we need to pray, God, let your kingdom come in their life. Let them understand you. Let them know you. Let them love you. Let them want to serve you. Let them see the falsehood of the world. Let them see the, right, the righteousness of your kingdom. Let your kingdom come in their life. Now, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 10b, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why should we pray for God's will to be done? You know, there are people who tell you that God's in control of everything and everything that happens happens by God's will. We hear Christians say that. Oh, it must have been God's will. It must have been God's will for that to happen. Do you think abortion is God's will? Do you think God in heaven in his sovereignty said, you know, in the 1970s and 80s and 90s and the 2000s in America, I'm going to let millions, it's my will, my sovereign will that millions of babies will be aborted. I don't believe that's God's will at all. Do you think physical abuse and verbal abuse that's happened in our world is God's will, that's going on today, that it's God's will? Uh, Get a little more personal. Do you think everything you've done in your life has been God's will? Everything that's happened to you has been God's will? Do you think that you're just a robot and you have no control and there's no difference made by our actions? If that were the case, why would God teach us to pray for his will to be done? What battle is there? When he talks about us being in a battle, in a spiritual battle, what battle is there if God's will is simply going to be done no matter what we do? There's no battle. God's will is going to be done. Why should we worry about anything? Why should we try to make any difference? Why should we give any effort to things? God's will is going to be done. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And yet Jesus says, pray for my will to be done. God, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is prayer powerful and effective if the will is set and there's no changing anything. If everything's just going to work out okay, and everything's going to work out God's way no matter what we do, you know, why should we pray? Doesn't matter whether we pray or not. Why would Jesus tell us this? Why would the Bible tell us this? Listen, let me be clear. We do not pray to change the mind of God. We pray so that we're changed And we pray so that the powers of the enemy are stopped. We pray so that God brings his light. We pray so that conviction comes. We pray so that God moves in this world. We pray under the authority that Jesus gave us to bring change into the world. Now, I want to be clear. The ultimate will of God, there's no altering it. See if I can, I want to really define this for you. The ultimate will of God, there's no altering it. There's no altering, you know, we're not going to change how the stars shine in the sky. We're not going to change, you know, that his son's going to come again someday. We're not changing the ultimate will of God. But hear me, there's a desired will of God that we can change. Not the will of God. There's people who are going to miss God's desired will for their life. And we can help them discover it and they can move into it because we're praying for your. There's a desired will for our church that if we don't pray for it, if we don't seek God in it, the enemy will thwart that will. Listen, we are 74 days until Easter. It is God's desired will that around this place on Easter Sunday, people get saved. But if we don't pray, God, do your will through me, do your will through the church, do your will through pastor that Sunday, and we don't invite people, and we don't pray for the enemy to be silenced, and we don't seek God for his will, the enemy will work his will. Jesus is telling us, apply for the will of God in my home and everything. God, let your will be done. This is one of my big prayers for my children. God, whatever your will is for him. Whatever your will is for him. We also pray for God's will because we don't know the right way. We still struggle with the flesh and with corruption. We have limited vision. So when I come to God, I'm not saying, God, give me my will. I'm cautious in my prayer. God, give me your will. 
Give me your, what do you want? When I pray for my children, I don't pray for them. God, I think, I think Jessica should be this. I think Tina should be this. I think Michael should be this. I think, uh, no, I can, God, what do you think they should be? God, let your will be done in their life. Over the years, people have asked me, what do you want Michael to do? What do you want this one to do? What do you want? I said, I want him to do what God wants him to do. That's what my dad always said to me. I want you to do what God wants you to do. What's God's will? Think of this in terms of air traffic controllers. All the planes are flying around out there, but all the planes can't do what they want. Uh, they, they can't even act out of what they see. They've got, they need direction. They need somebody sitting in a tower saying, uh, stay at that level or drop down to this level or you land at this time and you don't because if they don't have that air traffic controller, what's going to happen? If they act out of their own will and their own desires and what they can see, it's going to be too late to react the right way and there's going to be disaster. We need God to be our air traffic controller in our lives. And we need to pray and open our heart for his will to be done. Okay, now, as you move past these, we move to three very specific things. And uh, the first, that, that are about us. The first one is in Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And this one may seem a little less, less natural for us because for the most part, most of us don't have to worry about our daily needs. We're not like the rest of the world, so much of the rest of the world. But to not take this prayer seriously is to be ungrateful for what we have. You know, there's enough food, there's enough land to grow the food, to feed the world, and yet many people starve. We've been blessed to live in a country that not only, uh, that not only has a supply, but the laws that release that supply to us. God has always been bountiful. What, what's available for the world is bountiful. We have today because God supplies, and we should be thankful for that. And I want to challenge you, even in your prayer times over a meal, to, to think about this fact that God has provided. God has provided. You may sit and say, well, I, I, I got the money myself, or the farmers grew it. God, if God said for it not to grow, it wouldn't grow. If the rain didn't come, it wouldn't grow. It, God is bountiful. And it's a recognition of who he is. But when we talk about bread, throughout the Bible, bread is an illustration of, uh, of, our, of all of our needs and all of our needs being met. So what we're praying is this, God, please give me what I need for the fullness of life. Give me what I need for the fullness of life. So we may, we may have a bountiful food and we may be starving in other areas of our life. And so we're inviting God to come into our life. Some, some people don't have because they, uh, areas of their life because they don't recognize with gratefulness that God is the supplier, that he's the one that meets our deepest emotional needs. They're trying to get their deepest emotional needs met from their husband or from their wife or from their kids. And guess what? People can't meet your deepest emotional needs. Only God can meet your deepest emotional needs. Only God can give right direction to you. Everything is from God. Every good and perfect gift is from him. And so we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. What we need today, Lord. What we need today. God, if the world doesn't give me recognition and, my, and I need recognition, will you fill that spot in my life? God, if, I, if I'm feeling empty and nobody's there to help me, will you fill that spot in my life? God, give me my daily needs. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your peace. Father, the decisions I have to make, give me my daily needs today. This should be a regular part of our prayer time. And then Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The grace of God is big enough to cover all of our sins. 
And when we get saved, we're washed with the blood and our sins are covered. But we go on and blow it again. I mean, after we're saved, uh, you know, after I've been saved, I have not lived a perfect life. If you have, you should be up here, I should be down there. I don't know anybody who's led a perfect life. I still need the grace of God. And the grace of God is there for us, but we need to be aware that there are things that maybe we do that we don't even know we're doing wrong. Those unknown sins. And then there are the ones that we know that we've blown it. And so we're not, we're not coming back to God asking for salvation. We don't have to get saved every week. But we come back to God saying, God, I recognize I've fallen short. And we recognize, God, I've fallen short. Forgive me of my debts and my weaknesses. And he goes on to say in that, as we forgive those who are our debtors, as those who've sinned against us. Now, I've always heard, you know, my father always talked about this being a dangerous prayer. Because if we don't forgive, we're saying, God, don't forgive me. I don't forgive Harry over there for what he did to me, so don't forgive me. That's a dangerous prayer, isn't it? See, here, here's what I believe God's showing us. That one, one of the ways to get free from our failures, from our guilt, from our failures, from the hold that our failures have on us, comes in the freeing power of forgiving others. This is why some still struggle and don't get free. This is why some still feel guilty and don't get free because they've never learned to forgive. They've never learned to let other people, let them go and say, you know what? I'm going to forgive them for what they, what they do. Some people don't get freedom because they don't offer freedom. So this becomes a regular part of our prayer time. And then, then finally, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, this is one of the great prayers over our life. God, deliver us from the temptations that come our way. Keep the enemy from our life. Keep the enemy from our church, from our children. God, we're, we're, just, in, we're just taking the authority that the enemy is silenced and you are released in our life. Show us how to resist him. We're submitting ourselves to you. There's a real enemy out there. God, protect us from the enemy and protect us from the sinful desires that come up in our life that tempt us to do things that we shouldn't do. So again, all of these are topics of prayer that should be a regular part of your life. It's not that you pray through them in that order every time. It's not that they're all in every prayer that you pray. But regularly in your life, you need to be looking at this saying, am I doing that? Am I recognizing who God is? Am I seeing him and thinking about him? Am I inviting his kingdom to rule in my life? Am I asking for his will to be done? Am I seeking him for my daily needs? Am I resisting the enemy? Am I praying through this? Am I doing these things on a fairly regular basis? basis as a natural part of my mature life. Now, we said at the beginning tonight that uh, uh, the doxology at the end of this verse in many versions uh, is, is there in many versions is not there in others. I, I've not read a real good explanation as to why some versions have it in it and others don't other than uh, some kind of have a tendency to think that in the original versions of the text it wasn't there and it got added somewhat later. But it was recognized in the early church as a part of uh, the message. And, and this, this fact for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This re reminds us of who God is. His kingdom is going to rule. Someday, all the kingdoms of the world will fall and the kingdom of God will rule. He has the power.
And his glory, his wisdom, his strength is forever. His promises are forever. What he says is going to happen is going to happen. What he tells us about our lives is an eternal promise. We can count on him. And we can rejoice. We may not see all of it in the moment. Like Abraham and the prophets of old looked forward to the first coming of Christ and they didn't see it in their lifetime, but it came and they put their faith in that promise and received the gift of that promise. We look forward to the second coming of Christ. We may not see it in our lifetime. It may happen before we leave this building, but it's going to happen someday. The kingdom of God is going to be established by his power and through his glory this world's going to be put in order and we're going to get to be a part of that amen and we can count on that and we can trust him so we this really sounds rounds out this instruction about the prayer of the kingdom of god i I read a, a thing this week and it's about powerful preaching and i i want to want to read it to you tonight because I think you could take preaching out of this and talk about a powerful life. Uh, whatever, whatever gifting you had, you can put into these things. Ian Bounds says this. The real sermon, and so take this, the real father, the real mother, the real leader, the real teacher, the real sermon is made in the closet. The man, God's man, is made in the closet. His life and his profoundest convictions were born in his secret communion with God. Mom and Dad, this is where your victory comes. Grandma, Grandpa, this is where victory comes. The burden and tearful agony of his spirit, his weightiest and sweetest messages were got when alone with God. So our greatest victories are won. Prayer makes the man. Can I say it again? Prayer makes the dad. Prayer makes the mom. Prayer makes the Sunday school teacher. Prayer makes the worship leader. Prayer makes the soloist. Prayer makes the usher. Prayer makes us. It makes us. It's what forms us. It's where we get the strength to really do the eternal. It's in prayer, in the presence of God, that we come out empowered to do the will of God, strengthened by his hand, where the power that is not in us is suddenly flowing through us. Not because we're something, but because he's answered our deepest cries. It's where your voice becomes weightier for the person who's lost that you love. It's where your voice becomes powerful into the lives of those that you care about. It's where your ministry becomes anointed with new strength to make eternal difference. It's in that closet with God. Prayer makes the man. Prayer makes the preacher. Prayer makes the pastor. Every preacher who does not make prayer a mighty factor in his own life and ministry is weak as a factor in God's work and is powerful or powerless to project God's cause in this world. Oh, you can play that. There are dads go, I don't understand. I don't understand. My kids just, they just won't live for God. What's your prayer life, sir? What's your prayer life like? How much have you wept over them? How much have you prayed for them? How much have you cried out for them? Mom, Dad, how much time have you prayed for them? Have the words that you speak to them come from the prayer room? Have you broken the back of the enemy in the closet of prayer? Have you won it for your Sunday school class, for your small group? Have you won it for the choir? Have you won the victory in the prayer time so that now all that's left is reaping the benefit? It's prayer, my friend. It's prayer that changes things. It's powerful and it's effective. And Jesus has told us, here are the things you should pray about. And when we bring them into our life and begin to pray, he promises that God hears our prayer. Amen.
Let's stand together and come down around this altar tonight. And we're going to close by practicing what we're preaching. Amen? Oh, bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. We're so thankful for who you are in our lives. We're so grateful for your goodness to us. We're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful, Father, for how your kingdom works, and we know it works through prayer. We've given you a lot of things tonight that you can take and examine your prayer life and build into your prayer life to make it more powerful and stronger. We're going to take just one of them tonight. I want us to pray for God's will to be done. Will you pray tonight just as, as God would that lead you over your family, over your own life, and finally over our church? God, not my will, thine be done. Let your will come into this. God, even where I'm asking you for things that aren't your will, ignore me. Let your will be done. I trust you more than I trust my own desires. Let's just take a minute tonight, a couple of minutes tonight, before we go, and let's pray for the will of God to be done in our lives and in our church. Amen? Let's just lift your voice up and pray. Father, we just pray. I pray tonight for my brothers and sisters who are here. I'm so grateful. Father, that they, uh, that they, hun they hunger enough for you to come tonight. And now, Lord, I, I pray that this message and the things that you would have take root and life in their spirits would really take root in life. Let us learn. Let us grow in knowledge, increasing knowledge, so that we can be more effective and more powerful, so that we can protect our children and protect their lives, so we can be the men and women you would have us to be. Father, so we would understand how your kingdom works. And we would actually function in your kingdom. That, Father, we wouldn't try to drag in the system of the world and make it work in your kingdom. But that, Father, we would grab a hold of what your kingdom teaches us. And that, Father, we would, we would walk in the faith of your kingdom. And, Lord, your kingdom teaches us, you teach us, that our prayers make a difference. They change things. And then you tell us, your son says, this is how we should pray. So let us learn from these subjects, O oh God. And let us begin to regularly put these things into our prayer life. And because of it, let our prayer life grow and expand and become more powerful. And Lord, let, let us protect our families and protect our church and transform our community and our generation and our own lives because we're praying for your will to be done and for your kingdom to come. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. And amen. I, I want to just challenge you tonight. One of the prayers that really touched me, or one of the things that really touched me when I was a boy, when I read through, I believe, Hebrews, and it talks about Jesus praying with great cries and with tears. And, and what that showed me, you know, that's not something we manufacture it's 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 a it's got to be a passion that we want and desire this thing so much that our heart beats with it and and part of that is learning to pray god let my heart beat like your heart beats let your kingdom come in my life let me understand this world so that all the flesh and all this stuff gets set aside all the pride of life gets set aside all the and we just recognize our full dependence upon God. And we, we learn to pray. And I would tell you, so much of that prayer, that kind of prayer, is in the secret place. When you get alone with God, and you can lift your voice to Him. Now, when the church begins to do that, and we can come into a place like this, and that we're now so passionate about what we're praying for, so comfortable in our prayer that we begin to lift our voices together. There becomes a concert of prayer 
that becomes transformational inside of a body of believers. But we, don't manuf- we can't manufacture that. That has to come out of a group of people who are regularly setting time aside with God. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us you've got to pray a half an hour every day. Nothing there says you've got to pray an hour every day. What we see is, is examples. We hear this called pray continually, which means as we go through life, we should be aware that God is there and we're lifting up our voice to him. But what we see is these examples of Jesus going out at night or getting up early in the morning, uh, separating himself from, from, from others. We see these examples of these great men of God who separate themselves for this time because they're wanting the will, the, the will of the Father to come into it. And I, I'm always reminded, if Jesus thought it was important for him to do it, how much more important is it for me to do it? Amen? And so is this going to how? Listen, I'm just telling you, it's just according to how much power you want to have over the, over the circumstances of your life. How much you want to partner with God to see his will done in the areas of your life. How much you're willing to dive into this thing and say, you know what, I'm going to learn to be a person of prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next several weeks is some of these great prayers of men who are recognized as people of prayer and whose lives made a difference. How they prayed and what they prayed and what that can mean to us. Amen? Hey, I love you. God bless you. Go and grow your prayer life.